morning. Uh, it's good to see people here, and hello to everybody who's at home. And so for those of you who are here physically, uh, we are streaming this as well, as, some, as most of you know, I think on Zoom and maybe Facebook, I think is the word on the street. Um, and so uh, I, I just want to say welcome to everybody who's watching at home. Um, my name is Danny Pierce. I'm the pastor here at Antioch Community Church in Quincy, and uh, it really is such an honor uh, to worship with you in person and, and even virtually. Um, and thank you guys so much uh, as, uh, for everyone who's here and at home uh, for your patience as we're figuring out all the tech side of this. Um, and, uh, and we're just thankful because uh, the spirit of the living God um, meets with us wherever we are. And so uh, we come here this morning uh, with excitement that uh, the word of God is going to change our lives. And so... Um, so, Father, I'm going to pray real quick. Father, would you transform us this morning through the power of your word that your spirit breathed into existence and is speaking to us today, Lord? Would you transform our lives? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay. So we are continuing our series uh, based out of Isaiah that we are calling Our God Reigns is the name of our series. So last week, we set the stage out of Isaiah 52. Um, and the summary of Isaiah's good news is, your God reigns. That's what it says in Isaiah 52, 7. Um, so basically, we're taking the next few weeks to look at Isaiah's vision of the coming kingdom of God that he predicted. Uh, each week, we'll look at a different aspect of this kingdom. Um, and, and as we go, we will narrow down to Christmas, right? And it's fulfillment in Jesus, how Isaiah's vision of the kingdom of God will be fulfilled in him. Um, so it's kind of a, a crossover sermon series, right? We're doing Isaiah, and we're going to do Advent, Christmas, uh, kind of all in one, right? Um, so I'm really excited. Um, today, we are looking at Isaiah 61. So if you want to turn in your, in your Bibles, uh, Isaiah 61. Now, why, why Isaiah 61? Uh, the quick answer is that Jesus actually reads from this passage. Uh, in Luke 4, there's this story of Jesus going to, um, uh, going to a synagogue, and he kind of makes the announcement, a public announcement of his ministry, and that he will be the one to fulfill the promises of God. And he reads these verses, the first few verses from this chapter that Annalise just read, actually, um, as the, as the, here's my job description, so to speak. This is Jesus' job description as the Messiah who brings the kingdom of God. Um, and so you'll notice uh, from what Annalise read, uh, this theme of, of reversal. Okay? Uh, he's anointed me. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. Set, set me up to bind the brokenhearted. And so, right, so you get this, those who are poor will receive good news, right? Those who are captives will be granted freedom. Those who are prisoners, released from darkness. Uh, if you want to go on the more emotional state, those who are brokenhearted will be bind up. He's, Jesus is going to come and bandage them, right? Those who are mourning will be comforted. Uh, and, and you get the idea. Those who are like they're wearing ashes, right, so to speak, will be given a crown of beauty, this reversal that comes with the kingdom of God. This exchange that he gives his people. Okay? Now, 
and uh, this is just a little note. If you want to go read this passage about Jesus, the story in Luke 4, uh, Jesus was actually a bit of a surprising person to pull this off. So people got upset at Jesus. And, and I think because you read these verses, and, and this is the work of a great king, right, in their mind. This is a great king, not a carpenter's son, right? So they think Jesus is proclaiming a reversal and an exchange of this lowly state for something great. He's proclaiming it, that he's bringing it, but he himself hasn't experienced it. That's from their perspective, right? And it's this reversal of expectation, right? This reversal of expectation that Jesus brings. Um, but he keeps going. Um, and, and, and so these verses, uh, and I, I'm, I'm speeding through because of time, uh, they contain a lot, right? They point us to how Jesus' ministry to the most broken down people, right, brings this kingdom of God. But he keeps going because we also see the effect, right? The end result of Jesus' ministry on behalf of his people. If we look in uh, verses, um, the second half of three and so on. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. They will rebuild the ancient ruins and restore the places long devastated. They will renew the ruined cities that have been devastated for generations. Strangers will shepherd your flocks. Foreigners will work your fields and vineyards. You will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of our God. Right? And so here's the thing. You notice something. There's a they here, right? And starting halfway through verse 3, they will be called oaks of righteousness. They will rebuild cities. Who is the they? Right? This is a little reading trick, right? Do you remember this from like middle school English class or something? Who is the they? The they is the people who Jesus was just talking about, right? The brokenhearted, the prisoners, the mourners, right? All, all the, the beaten down people uh, who Jesus comes to minister to, they are the ones who will display the splendor of God. They are the ones who will rebuild the broken down cities, right? Who will repair the foundations. That is, Jesus comes here and he gives them a new purpose and a new identity. Do you see that in these verses? A new purpose, their new purpose, right? They were, um, they were mourning, they were captives, they were stuck in shame and sin. They were, but now... Now they have a new purpose, that is to display the splendor of God, to rebuild and to restore. And they have a new identity, right? He, he goes down and he calls them, you will be called priests of the Lord. You will be named ministers of God. So all these people, from the first few verses, right? Everyone from the prisoners and captives to those who are suffering, those who are hurting, are now given this new identity and this new purpose. They are God's new priests who minister to him and to people. Right? These exiles who are suffering in a land that was not their own, separated um, from the place that God had promised them, they are the ones who will be planted like an oak, big and mighty and, and, and permanent. And these oaks who display the splendor of God, who, who testify to his righteousness, and they rebuild what has been destroyed. You see, that's the kingdom. God, Jesus takes these broken down people and he gives them a new, a new purpose. He gives them a new identity. 
This is the effect that Jesus has on his people. The effect that his kingdom has on, on the church. Um, when, I, when I first started taking notes on this passage, um, kind of in, in preparation, uh, I actually I wrote down this phrase, uh, reversal of fortunes, right? Their fortunes were reversed. And it sounded really good. Uh, but I actually, I, I don't think I quite got it right. Uh, so this is like a confession. I, I was going down the wrong track. I mean, it's true, right? Their, for, their fortunes were reversed. They were in one, one place and they got it switched. Um, but I actually think verse 7 gives us, a, a, in a sense, a, a summary from a different angle uh, of what Jesus is talking about. Um, and he says, instead of your shame, you will receive a double portion. Instead of disgrace, you will rejoice in your inheritance. And so you will inherit a double portion in your land and everlasting joy will be yours. There's this theme of shame and disgrace that is key to understanding, I feel like, this reversal. Now, I want to confess something. I don't really fully understand the topic of shame. It's something we talk about a lot in the church. Um, and I thought I understood it. And then I moved to, uh, I spent seven years in Southeast Asia and realized that my Asian friends talked about shame differently than I did. Um, and, it, it, you know, obviously, on some degree, I think I know, like, there's an element of shame that I feel like I, I would always describe it as like a really strong inward feeling of guilt. And that's true, and that's true, but that's not entirely right, okay? It's kind of like, you know, the difference between saying, um, I did something bad, and I am a bad person. Those are two different things, right? I am a bad person is like the sign. I've like internalized my, my mistakes, my sin, and I've, I'm carrying a sense of shame. But... Um, my, my friends in, in Southeast Asia when I was living there, they would talk about shame slightly differently. And um, th they would, I mean, they agreed with that. They would say, yes, that is shame. But they would also talk about shame as an, like an external or outward judgment um, by others, right? So you, if your family is shameful, it's not necessarily because you broke some law. Like the law doesn't determine that you're shameful. Others say that family has shame. Um, and so it could be because of something you've done, right? You've sinned and you've done something wrong. But sometimes it's actually something done to you, right? That is, through no fault of your own, you have been covered or, or, or uh, hit with shame. Do you understand? Um, not everyone who Isaiah is talking to deserved what they got. But they still bore the shame of being exiles, do you understand? And, and so what is the reversal, right? And it goes into this phrase or this, or this idea of inheritance, that there is a double inheritance. Um, that is, and you keep in mind, inheritance is a family term. It gets passed down through the family. So what God is saying is what you are experiencing now is shame and it is disgrace. Whether it's your fault or someone else's or some mixture of the two, all of it, though, you get brought into the family, and you receive this inheritance. You receive an everlasting joy, right? That kind of summarizes those first six verses. Um, when I was, uh, I, do I want to share this? I do want to share this. 
I, um, I taught for a few years, actually, at a, at a university in, uh, in Southeast Asia. And it was a fascinating experience, a uh, cross-cultural experience. So um, I taught classes on ethics and philosophy of religion. And so it was a Christian university, but it's like a Christian university, kind of like, and this is no offense to anyone, uh, that like Boston College is Catholic. Like, it is Catholic. The leadership is Catholic, and I have no doubt that they're devout Catholics. But not everyone who goes to BC is Catholic, correct? Okay. And, and those who are have differing levels of seriousness. And it's the same, I mean, I went to a Christian university, it was the same thing. A lot of the students who were there were Christian, sort of, right? And so this school, actually about 20% of my students at this Christian university were Buddhists. Um, and then I had, you know, there was a few other, some Hindus and things like that. Anyway, I don't know why I told you all that. It had nothing to do with anything. But I would, I would spend some time in my, my class time picking their brain to see how they understood um, some of these things we're talking about. And specifically difference of shame and honor and, and how that works. And it was fascinating to me, this, I would call it a fear of uh, what you might call undeserved or unmerited shame, right? That someone in their family would do something wrong, right? So maybe their father would bribe a government official to keep his business running, which was very common in that culture. And he would get caught and it would bring shame on them. And it would affect their entire life through no fault of their own. They haven't done anything. And yet they still wear the label shame. And there was this genuine fear that this would happen. And it guided much of their, uh, of their actions, right? They cheated on tests all the time. Not because they weren't smart, but because they didn't want the shame on their family of them failing. Do you understand? So, one day, we were talking about the death of Jesus. <laughs> and we were talking about sin and shame. And again, I'm trying to understand it from their cultural perspective. Because I am aware that as an American, I, I, I miss things, right, in the Bible. Um, and I will never forget uh, in a class where it's a university classroom, right? So half the students aren't paying attention, but the half that are, it's really engaging. And um, the moment when some of them realized that Jesus understood undeserved shame, right? Un Jesus understood what it meant to be shamed despite the fact that he did nothing wrong. Right? I mean, Jesus doesn't understand sin that you and, in the way that you and I understand sin. He never committed sin. But he was shamed. Do you, do you guys get this? Like, the way he was born. I don't want to give away the Christmas message, but spoiler alert. Um, but the way he was born, right? I mean, and keep in mind, that was a choice on the part of God to do it this way. He could have done it other ways, but he chose a more shameful or lowly birth, right? The way he lived his life, culturally speaking, would have oftentimes, not always, but oftentimes been seen as shameful. But the way he died, think about this for a second. Jesus, the only perfect human being who has ever lived, right, was stripped down naked publicly, beaten, hung on a cross publicly, in front of everybody. I mean, they could have executed him privately, but no, they got to shame him, Right? The shame that comes with being, in their minds, keep in mind, a failed Messiah. He said he was bringing a kingdom. We'll strip him naked, we'll beat him, and we'll kill him publicly. And all of his followers will know the shame that comes with following a false, a false king. 
Not only that, from a religious perspective, the way they would have understood it, Jesus has been shamed by God himself. God has abandoned him, and the shame of this, of this false kingdom is now on Jesus. Jesus understands undeserved shame. And I'll never forget the moment. I mean, there's one girl in my mind, I can picture it so clearly when her face just like lit up. Jesus gets it. He gets it. But when you really think about it, you keep going, right? Because the story, as we all know, doesn't end there. Again, this is the Good Friday Easter message four months in advance. Um, so Jesus takes on all of the shame that he did not deserve. And he carries it to the grave with him. But then, God vindicates him, raises him from the dead, gives him honor and glory through the resurrection. All of that shame that Jesus took on was traded for the glory of the resurrection. But not only that, Jesus then shares it with his people. He took on the undeserved shame was given the most glorious vindication you can possibly imagine and then shares that honor and glory and that inheritance, eternal inheritance, with a people who didn't deserve it. Guys, this is good news. This is good news. This is the stuff, this is the pattern of the kingdom that Isaiah is talking about, that Jesus fulfills. I like this stuff. This is good. Amen. Thank you. So we get, as it says in verse 7, everlasting joy. We share in that inheritance that Jesus was given on that Easter Sunday, on that resurrection. We share with it. We share in his honor. We share in the joy that is his. Whether we deserve it or not, we don't. But we get it anyway. Right? In verses um, in 8 and 9, and so it's interesting, Isaiah, if you think about it this way, he's talking about the future, the future to come in Jesus. Um, but he actually takes a second to look backwards. If you read in verse 8 and 9, so this is God speaking, for I, the Lord, love justice, I hate robbery and wrongdoing. In my faithfulness, I will reward my people and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations, their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. So it's interesting. Jesus comes and he gives his people a new identity. And he gives them a new purpose. But it's because it, these words, though, are not actually new. God is in the business of fulfilling ancient promises. So Isaiah is predicting the future but he does it by reminding us of the past. All of these terms that we see here, right? Everlasting covenant, the descendants and the offspring, a blessing uh, uh, for the people of God. This is all a reminder of what God had said. I feel like every other week I talk about this. What God had said to Abraham back in Genesis 12. Through you, I'm going to bless all nations of the earth. I'm going to give you many descendants. I am making a covenant with you. Right? So all this stuff that God does for us, He's actually, it might feel new to us, but it's all a part of this ancient plan. Okay? I feel like a game show host, but there's more. Um, 
So this, this, so Jesus, the Spirit anointed Messiah, uh, he's not quite done. Um, so he, if you go back again, you notice the, the shift in pronouns. Uh, Jesus is talking at the beginning, or Isaiah predicting, and Jesus claims it for himself. So we'll call it Jesus. Um, the Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, and this is what he has sent me to do. Um, in verses 10 and 11, this Spirit-filled Messiah speaks again for us. Um, so I'm going I'm to read these verses, um, but, but I, I, this, I think it's really important. This hit me while I was working on this. Um, these are the words, in a sense, of Jesus. Okay? So I'm going to read these verses and just listen to it from the perspective of Jesus saying these things, right? So however you want to do that, if you want to read along, if you want to close your eyes, just hear Jesus saying these things as he, as he is. Okay. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. For he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of his righteousness. As a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest, and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. So think about these verses for a second. This is Jesus talking. When Jesus steps back and looks at the work that the Father has given him. When Jesus steps back and he sees the kingdom that he has given him and what his task is, how does Jesus respond? He rejoices. He rejoices. He takes delight. I delight greatly in the Lord. My soul rejoices in my God. Right? The, the hurting, the suffering, the victims of, of oppression, injustice, given a new identity, a new purpose, this, this reversal uh, of, of shame and disgrace and, and giving people honor and glory and inheritance, he delights to do it. Jesus delights to reverse our brokenness and turn us into something that will display the splendor of God. Right? He rejoices at the salvation he brings. He rejoices because of the effect it will bring to the world around us, to the nations. So as we're going to respond, um, we're going to respond to what the Lord's doing. Um, I, wanna, I want to give... Um, this might sound a funny, like a funny thing to say. I want to give Jesus an opportunity to rejoice. <laughs> I want to give Jesus an opportunity to take delight in what God does through him. Um, and so I, I don't know, coming into today, um, how much baggage we're carrying in. Um, if it's a, a feeling of, of, of shame and disgrace, if it's a struggle with a sin... Or it could just be old-fashioned, just we're heartbroken, we're struggling, we're hurting, we're mourning something. And can we ha take an opportunity today 
to allow Jesus to minister to us? Can we allow Jesus to, to live out in this moment? Can, he, can we allow him to work out those first three verses that we talked about? And through the, the presence of his spirit to, to begin to transform us, to make today a part of his transforming work of turning us from broken down, hurting, suffering, shameful people and into people who display his splendor, into people who rebuild and restore. So let's take some time and just uh, respond to the Lord and allow him to speak, um, speak in those areas to us.